you know, I want to help increase the number of scalable women-led businesses out there. Um, and, and, and subsequently, not only that, but to kind of change the gender equation among investors. Right now, you know, the investment kind of community, investor community, is heavily skewed towards men. I think we need to change that and, and bring more women on board. And, and to do that, you know, we need to have more successful women entrepreneurs. Biz Women Rock, episode 145. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and I am bringing you tremendous stories from business women all over the world in all sorts of different industries so they can talk about their business journey so yours can be inspired by it. Before we get rolling, here's a little word from our awesome sponsor. If you're tired of your spend and hope marketing strategy, why not give Proven to Succeed a try? Postcard Mania uses proven results from your industry and its other 64,000 plus clients to build you a marketing campaign with the greatest chances of success. Just go to postcardmania.com forward slash bizwomenrock. Vanessa Ting is in the house and I am so excited for you to hear her story because holy cow, does this girl have passion and vision and a hell of a lot of really great information. Here's what you need to know about Vanessa. She had a history of being a buyer for major retail location and now has leveraged that experience to creating two incredible businesses that help you get your product into large retail locations. And she's done it over and over and over again for her clients. So I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation, not only because she's got really good information that you need to know, but her journey is incredible and she is amazing. I mean, just a rock star. Love her. So let's get rolling. Vanessa, what's going on? Thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, Katie. Thanks for having me. So great to be here. Thanks. So um, so I got to tell you that you have what I would consider a super sexy business. I mean, when you start throwing in words like, I help people get into Walmart, I help people get into Target, I help people get into t- to Costco, you've got ears perking up from a lot of entrepreneurs <laughs> out there and a lot of inventors out there. So so I am dying not only to pick your brain about how to do all of this stuff, because I know that's what people are really interested in, but I'm really interested in you and what evolution you have gone through being an entrepreneur yourself and learning all of this information yourself. So let's start first with... Um, where you were back in corporate that really started getting you geared up to do what you're doing now? Sure. Well, the funny thing is I've, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was a kid, but I never quite knew what that idea would be or, or when that would happen. And so I kind of set those entrepreneurial dreams aside and just kind of charted down the path of building a career in corporate America. Um, you know, I was working for companies like Neutrogena, which is a Johnson & Johnson company, doing marketing and product development. Went to business school, um, you know, to ready myself for a longer career in corporate America. <laughs> and then after business school, went to, went to Target to be a headquarter buyer. So, like, 
I had just, I was just on the, the corporate ladder track. That was kind of where I was before I, I started my, my, my businesses. And, and that's where I actually thought I was going to be for quite some time. Did you have, like, I got to ask you this, did you have some sort of, you know, like, no, 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 I know in the future, I'm, I'm, I'm going to open my business in the future. Or did that whole like entrepreneurial seed that was planted early on, did that just sort of like get bowled over by corporate? Like, was it there still? It was there still, but I, I it definitely was dormant. I mean, I, I thought I was going to stay in corporate America until, you know, I was like 40 or 50, learn as much as I could. And then when I wanted work-life balance, haha, big joke there. There is no work-life balance when you're an entrepreneur. But I thought. <laughs> There's no I such thought, thing. Right, right. And so I thought, you know, wait until I'm 40 or 50, then launch my business and, you know, have a lifestyle business or whatever. That was the plan. But what really happened was, you know, there were a, a, a series of events that happened, um, you know, in my personal life that made me realize, mm, you know what, this, this is the time. You know, my, my personal passion, um, you know, what's best for me, not necessarily what's best for my career, you know, that became more important. And that's what ultimately prompted me to start my own business. Got it. So go into exactly what your first business was, what you do, and just kind of explain the business model for right now. And then we'll definitely dig back uh, back into your past to really understand why you're doing that. Sure, sure. So uh, the very first business I launched uh, back in, in 2011 is Retail Path. That is basically a consultancy. Um, we help groom emerging consumer brands polish them up, help them tell their retail story, if you will, so that they are polished and ready to talk to big retail stores like Saks Fifth Avenue, Target, Walmart, CVS, what have you, but, but basically national retailers. Um, you know, through my experience previous to launching Retail Path, there were so many companies I came across that had great products, but just to communicate their business opportunity in the right way for retail buyers. And because of this, you know, quote-unquote poor communication, they didn't get a shot at big retail. And you had the buyer spend more time talking with them to really dig deep and ask questions and kind of peel back the layers. Maybe they would have found that, that diamond in the rough. But when you're, you know, a buyer for a huge retail store, you don't have the luxury of time to do that. So right. that's where we come in. We help kind of polish the story, kind of um, extract what it is that's super appealing about your product's business that really matter to retail buyers and help these companies tell their story succinctly. Very cool. Now, what was one of the worst pitches that you ever saw at Target? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I had one company who thought they had to do an actual like dog and pony show to wow us. So, you know, if you if you can kind of paint this picture in your head, you know, we're in, you know, these ivory tower skyscraper buildings and a very dark conference room. And, you know, you're, you're very rushed as a buyer. You've got 30 minutes to meet with this vendor. You walk into the room and you're expecting to see just a regular old conference room like you've seen many, many times before. But this particular vendor had like set up this like extravagant display, like floor display with like pictures and 
moving things. It was just so overwhelming. And really, it just kind of overshadowed the content. You know, we were there to talk about the business, to talk about sales projections, you know, marketing support, um, you know, how they plan on mitigating the risk that any vendor brings to a retailer. We were here to talk about business, and here they are trying to wow us with, like, you know, <laughs> this show. So I think that might be the worst. You know, just it, it, at the end of the day, it's business. Let's yep. treat it like business. Yep, exactly. Um, what was it like transitioning into your own business? I mean, you had you were like, you know, poster child corporate gal at that time. And even though you mm-hmm. had all these desires to be entrepreneurial and you felt like you were entrepreneurial, what was that transition really like? It was tough because when you are used to corporate America, especially working for a large company, you're used to people answering your phone calls and calling you back. You're used to, you know, if you've got an idea that you want to execute, you've got resources at hand to get it done quickly. So when I launched my own business, it was very frustrating that, you know, I would return my phone calls and I'd have to sell myself. Like I'd, I'd call, you know, for example, I'd call for um, I'd call a web designer and I'd be trying to get him to build my website, but instead of it just being, yeah, sure, I'll take your money and build your website, I had to prove to him that I was a viable business. I had to prove to him that this was like a sexy business for him to work on, which just was just so shocking um, to me. So um, I, I, that, was the, that was the first huge wake-up call, um, you know, just trying to get the resources and get just the ball moving all by yourself. So what were some of the things that you did in the very beginning to now go actually acquire customers and start revenue coming in for your company? What what were you doing there? Um, At the very beginning, it was just drumming up word of mouth, going out there and um, meeting people who had products. I would go to entrepreneur conferences. um, I would access people for referrals. It was a very face-to-face business. Um, which is a, which is which is a huge learning. Um, you know, business to business sales, especially in small companies, all about that person running the company. So I really threw myself out there to interact with people and just you know talk up a storm, get my face in front of people, and that's how I jumped up my first few few clients. Just networking, chatting them up, um, and then doing a lot of pro bono work to get those first few case studies so that I could use those proof elements to sell more. I love that. And you know what? That's not uncommon. I've heard quite a few women on this show actually say that, like doing a lot of kind of free stuff in the very beginning just to kind of get their wings under them so that they could now go out and show their success. So, you know, you ha- you were in the industry on the on the insider's vantage point kind of being the buyer yourself. So you knew from the vantage point what, um, you know, one of your one of your customers might come to you and you would be able to kind of know exactly what it needs to be. But how did you start developing those relationships that enabled you to start actually putting those pieces together and start getting, hopefully, like having introductions made and all that sort of stuff? Well, if I'm, if I'm understanding your question correctly, I spent a lot of time just listening to what these product entrepreneurs were struggling with. And, you know, when I first, you know, started my business, I didn't have a very clear vision of what my services and products would look like. Um, you know, I knew I had this bank of knowledge and this expertise. I just wasn't quite sure how to package it and sell it. So I spent a lot of time, you know, especially during these pro bono conversations with clients, 
listening to hear, to hear what they were struggling with and trying to be nimble and come up with products and packages and solutions that, that you know, met those very specific needs. Um, so really that's kind of how uh, the business kind of uh, refined itself over, over the first six months. Got it. Now, then walk us through like how Byerly ended up coming about. This is a whole other business that you launched, and you had such a great description of it before when you were and I were talking. So describe what Byerly is, and then walk us through like how that came about. Sure. So what Byerly is, gosh, now hopefully I can, I can repeat what it was that I said so eloquently before. <laughs> it was very beautiful. I'll go and edit it and put it in here. <laughs> All right. Um, so basically what Byerly is, it's, it's a web platform. It's a web portal that connects consumer brands with retail buyers from the nation's largest retailers, who, by the way, are my friends and former colleagues. But we put these two parties together to have a conversation about these products, about these consumers, uh, rather these customers' products for viability research, um, you know, pricing, packaging, feedback, and then ultimately wholesale orders. Um, so really, it's it's putting two parties together who currently don't talk. You know, a lot of small brands don't have a seat at the table of these larger retailers. This is their way to get some initial feedback from these large retailers so that they can get their ducks in a row and they can make their best first impression when it comes time for them to meet with these retail buyers. I mean, the reason why I love what you have created is because and excuse my ignorance if I don't know any better, but up until now, the only way that the little guy with a product that, you know, that she or he really believes should be in Target or in Walmart, you know, the only way that that could happen is like a total happenstance situation or they're at, you know, big expos, um, you know, product expos or what have you when that particular person's buyers kind of out and about. It's sort of, it's kind of a crapshoot. So, this is a very specific way. I mean, you're really doing such a great service by bringing all of these buyers to this same platform and being able to now open that up to anyone who has a succinct product to be able to to go to. So I just, I think it's such a, a great idea that de- that doesn't really exist anywhere else in a good way. Right. And, and, and thank you for, for acknowledging that. And yes, it's, it's what we do is so niche and totally born out of, very, out of a very specific need. But yeah, you're right. Like a lot of these people don't get the chance to meet with these big buyers or even hear what they think um, unless it's in these, you know, chance encounters. And, you know, for some companies who may have a great product but just aren't presenting it correctly, they may be getting tons of no's right now and, you know, maybe they give up and, and, and fold when they could have gotten some feedback from these big retail buyers to say, yeah, there is potential here. Keep going. And that would, you know, keep them moving along. Or conversely, maybe there's a product out there that just isn't right. You know, just for whatever reason, it just isn't right. But this person has, you know, this entrepreneur has their blinders on and keeps pushing it forward. Well, here's an opportunity for, you know, this, these big retail buyers to, um, you know, anonymously and, and confidentially give some feedback. Here are your blind spots. Eh, no, this isn't going to work. There's already a lot of folks like this out here. You know, well, you should stop now before you lose more money. You know, so there's a lot of just great feedback, you know, Feedback that will help save time, money, effort. Hopefully, you know, our, our goal is to help these product entrepreneurs just, you know, either put their best foot forward or know when to fold. 
Are you using LinkedIn? Okay, let me ask that another way. Are you really using LinkedIn in a way that truly produces results for your business, like big time? Well, if you're anything like me and so many other businesswomen out there, you probably have a LinkedIn profile set up, but may not really do a lot with it. Or if you're actually on LinkedIn and you're active, perhaps you're not getting the results that you need. That's why you have got to know about LinkedIn Focus. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Niall Nickel, the founder of LinkedIn Focus, so you can see how using the right tools with the right platform can be explosive for your business. So what I love about LinkedIn Focus is that it shoves aside the 8,000 messages that you have about LinkedIn and all these strategies on how to use LinkedIn. It shoves all that aside and gets down dirty right to the point on what works, what doesn't and how you can really apply it to your business to produce results. It, it absolutely does. I mean, at the bottom of the day, it's a tool. You could get really excited because you get really massive results very quickly. LinkedIn Focus is where I really try to help uh, business and individuals leverage the power of LinkedIn for their goals. If you are not getting business from LinkedIn, then LinkedIn Focus is a must. Just go to linkedinfocus.com forward slash BWR. I have to ask because, you know, you kind of made the statement of like all of these buyers, these are all my, you know, former colleagues and stuff like that. What does it take to maintain all of those relationships? Because that's the value proposition for the for the person who has the product are those people, access to those people. How do you mm-hmm. maintain those relationships and how do you build more of those relationships? Like what value are you giving to those buyers? Yeah. So yeah, those buyers are our secret sauce. And before we launched, we, me and my co-founder were just racking our brain, like how do we make sure there's enough value in here for them? You know, what do we do to keep them engaged to, um, to just, you know, and to build out our, our buyer database. And, you know, it's funny, this was one of my greatest fears launching the um, Buyerly that we wouldn't be able to do this. And this, and this actually has been one of the more easier things to, to develop, um, our buyer relationship. So to answer your question, you know, obviously it takes a lot of, of my time um, to nurture these, these friendships and relationships. Um, so it really is leaning on me and, and my ability to do that, but also we compensate them. So for every... You know, so, so Byerly basically is like survey research with retail buyers. So every survey they respond to, um, you know, every product they review, they get compensated financially. Oh. But and and, and and you know, at some there was a point in time where we're like, okay, maybe we need to raise the compensation because these buyers they're they're fine. They're, they're making a good living. They don't need money. <laughs> you know, right? Maybe we need to you know increase the the compensation. But it turns out we didn't because. The real value, and this is after interviewing these buyers to get their, you know, to get their feedback on, on what it's like using Buyerly, but what they've told us is that they enjoy helping small brands. They love spotting new products, and this is their way of kind of seeing what's out there without committing themselves to any, you know, to anything. Um, and they just, they, at, at the end of the day, buyers are product junkies, and this fulfills that, that <laughs> passion of theirs. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I would imagine there's a certain amount of pride if you were the one who bought that product that now is going huge. Because I, I watched a video that um, uh, on YouTube that you were doing, and it turns out you were the person who ended up getting the method, the method soap, uh, into Target. Is that right? Or was that one of your clients, or were you at Target when you bought that? 
Oh, none, none of the above. Actually, it was a marketing agency um, interviewing me on a case study, and we chose to use method as a case study. Oh, okay. So yeah. I'm totally misunderstood. Yeah. So, because what I was thinking is like, oh man, she's the one who got that in there. That's so cool. I totally <laughs> love that brand. <laughs> I um, wish. <laughs> but you're right. You're right, though. Every buyer's dream is to find that that product or that brand that's going to skyrocket, that's going to you know make a mark that they can hang their career on, their career hat on. Absolutely. Buyers are always looking for that. Do, the, do big brands compensate for that? Like, let's say you're the one who brings in whatever and it's like the big thing for the year. Like, are you, are buyers compensated for that, for seeing that? No, I mean, buyers are, are, are compensated by hitting their financial goals at the end of the year. So if you do bring in a product that is just, you know, super successful and, and sells like crazy, it's going to definitely help you meet your financial goals. And then from there, you get a bonus. Got it. Okay. Very cool. Wow. Okay. So um, what I what I want to do is ask just a couple of questions since we're in this space of what the buyer, you know, is doing and what the habits are. I want to ask you a couple of questions about... Anyone listening who has a product, um, you know, just a couple of things that they might need to know about what it really takes to get into these big retail stores. So um, the the first question I want to ask is like, what what do you think, and in your experience, is one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they go in and pitch Target or pitch Costco? Yeah, so the most common mistake um, in this scenario, and this happens this happens for people who are pitching to big retailers as well as small retailers is these vendors will make the assumption that it's all about the products and they'll spend their entire pitch talking about the different bells and whistles the product has, the different colors it comes in and all that stuff. When at the end of the day, what retail buyers care about, I mean, they care about having a good product, but they, what they really care about is sales potential. They're thinking dollar signs the entire time. You know, is this product going to be adding sales to my you know, my category, or is this product just going to kind of, you know, trade sales from what I have currently now to this product, which is called cannibalization? You know, what what really is the sales upside here? And typically the best way of communicating sales upside to retail buyers is telling them what you currently are selling in the store that you're currently distributed in. So many people make a mistake of just talking about the product when they really should be starting the conversation with, here are the stores we're currently sold in, and here is how we're performing in those stores. Here is what our sales look like in those stores. And then, you know, follow that up with, and here's how we're going to keep selling really well in your stores by putting together this awesome marketing plan. Um, so, you know, that in short is kind of how people should be approaching these big buyers and small, small retail buyers. Right. But definitely the big retail buyers, you know, talk about the business plan that you're presenting. Um, it's not about the product. Because if you can if you can show that your product is selling really well right now in other stores, that in and of itself demonstrates what a good product you have. You don't have to spend time talking about what a great product you have. The numbers will tell the story, if that mm, makes sense. I love that. It's, you know, be respectful of the time, get down to the real business of it. Mm-hmm. Love that. Okay. Um, what's, what's one of the most creative... Um, you know, products, pitches, packaging, kind of experience that you've ever encountered, either as a buyer or maybe one of your clients? Um, well, I think it, it's interesting. I, di- I didn't, you don't see much creativity when, it, when really when you are a buyer. Um, but 
was actually one of my clients um, when she was trying to woo um, Target and a few other big retailers. Um, she put together a really pretty um, presentation of her samples. So she was mailing samples to the buyer. The buyer had asked, you know, had asked her and requested samples from her, and she put it in a really nice box. Um, you know, with really pretty tissue and a nice bow. And, and when she was doing all this, I was telling her, you're wasting time. Like, don't even do this. You're wasting time. But she insisted on doing it. And it actually worked. Um, what happened was the buyer had experienced the brand experience when opening this box, and it was memorable to the buyer. So I think that's something that's really creative that even I underestimated. I thought, okay, you know what? These buyers are busy, and they are. The last thing they want to do is, like, go through all this tissue paper and bows and ribbons. Well, turns out it turns out that it does work. Um, experience matters. And, and, in, and in retrospect, um, I think, you know, trying to to get on the radar of a buyer takes many, many different tips and tricks, and, and that is one elegant way of doing it. Yeah, I like that. Now, let's talk a little bit about Byerly and where you are right now. Um, you know, you you have uh, hundreds of users. You're trying mm-hmm. to get more users. You really, your your energy is going towards really building out this platform, which could be so huge. I mean, just the potential for what the resource that you are providing there is amazing. Um, what have been some of your biggest challenges in growing this out? I'd say that, so there's been challenges internally and externally. Um, starting with internally, you know, there's running a, a startup is more than a full-time business, and there's two of us working full-time on this business, but that's just not enough. Um, so I think resources, manpower has been an issue, and, you know, we're happy to hire people to, to bring in some additional manpower, but it's really hard to find good talent. So I think that's the other thing. Finding good talent for a startup is, is extremely important but hard to come by. Um Externally, you know, we it was a, it's been a really interesting learning. When we first launched, we focused on SEO, right? We focused on digital marketing, creating a strong digital presence. But it turns out, when you are running a business, a B two B business, even if it's a web B two B business, there is so much in person selling that still needs to happen. So I have learned that you know you can't just put the website up there point people to it and have them figure it out themselves, you need to pick up the phone and welcome them when they sign up for an account. You have to, you know, follow up again with another phone call or another email. You have to invite them to in-person events. Um, There was so much in-person selling that happened um, to get us to where we are now that we had no idea we'd need. So that was a huge learning. Are you guys doing any sort of like events yourselves as, you know, under under the Byerly brand? Like, okay, now you can sort of have these collaborative events where people, almost like a job, a, a job fair, you know, like you guys mm-hmm. are doing this kind of virtual, virtually and online now. And you're, you know, you're saying like, it's so important to actually be belly to belly. Are you ever considering doing like in-person uh, conventions where these people can actually start mashing up and meeting each other? 
So we've been doing that a little bit informally. Um, so what we typically do is we'll go to a different, a few different trade shows and we'll piggyback on that trade show. So in the evening when people have nothing to do, they're, you know, maybe they're exhausted from spending the whole day on the trade show floor, we throw a little happy hour or a little reception, like a wine and cheese reception or a happy hour at a bar. And we invite those buyers and, you know, our, our client brands and as well as, you know, new brands to come hang out with us. So it's totally social. It's totally fun. Um, people just network and chat. And then, you know, sometimes conversations are struck between buyers and and brands and, and things happen. Um, we just had that exact thing happen last September with the um, ABC Kids Expo, which is the juvenile products um, trade show. It's a really big one that happens um, every fall. And we had this one, um, you know, premium online retailer buyer um, meet a bunch of great juvenile brands, and, and they've been talking. Um, so, you know, things like that happen informally. In 2015, we are going to actually put together more formal events like that where the objective is not just to network and have fun, but the objective is, hey, bring your products you know, pitch your products to buyers, we'll give you feedback. Um, you know, these buyers will get up there and give you feedback. And, you know, if magic happens, great. You know, if not, at least you have the benefit of getting that feedback. Right. Um, where do you see this company going? Both your companies, like, they and they really piggyback off of each other so well. I mean, your retail path is really a very handheld, um, you know, consulting-based business. So you're really helping people who need a lot of, you know, one-on-one time, they need you to kind of go through all of their stuff. Byerly is definitely a lot more virtual, a, uh, a mm-hmm. lot ha- hands-off for you, which is really good and, and enables them to get access to these great resources right away. So they really go hand-in-hand hand real well. What's your big vision for the growth of both of these businesses? Well, so our vision is to grow, to continue growing Byerly, um, to do a to do a successful exit to be acquired, um, either by a trade show organization or um, by a retailer. You know, we've got a few different targets kind of in mind, but we are trying to groom our growth so that we can be acquired, which will hopefully, um, you know, allow Retail Path to, you know, maintain but really be. Our hope is to be really picky and, and, and more more picky and more choiceful than we work with. Um, Really what I would love to do personally is to keep Retail Path on as a passion project. I love grooming startup brands. I love working with startup founders. And, you know, this allows me to do so um, and hopefully in a way that doesn't, you know, I guess uh, take up all of my time. Um, I would love to do it kind of, you know, sparingly, right? Like consulting is so exhausted. We're giving, giving, giving. It, it takes such a toll on you that I just want to kind of, preserve myself for just a few clients. So that would be kind of the vision for these two businesses, but really it, it kind of ends up tying into my personal kind of overall vision, which is, you know, if you think about what Barley and, and Retail Path does, it, it grooms startup brands, right? It's, it's trying to encourage um, business growth and, and help people be successful with their business pursuits. Well, that really truly is my core passion, my personal passion. And you know, some of the things that I'm working on in the side include, um, you know, creating, um, I mean, basically creating opportunities for more women-led ventures to to come about. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of dancing around, like, what my plan is without putting it out there. But, you know, I would love to just increase female entrepreneurship. You know, I want to help 
increase the number of scalable women-led businesses out there. Um, and, and, and subsequently, not only that, but to kind of change the gender equation among investors. Right now, you know, the investment kind of community, investor community, is heavily skewed towards men. I think we need to change that and, and bring more women on board. And, and to do that, you know, we need to have more successful women entrepreneurs. Um, so that's kind of, you know, that's my 10-year vision. That's kind of how my businesses, I think, will morph um, into that 10-year vision for myself. But, um, yeah, <laughs> kind of a lofty goal. That's Thank you for letting me share that vision. <laughs> no, I love it. It's giving me goosebumps. I mean, I'm glad that you don't have any passion, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. And, um, you know, what you're doing and what you're creating uh, is absolutely tremendous. And I, I just think that you've had such a really, uh, a, a really great journey so far. Give us one really, one of your most memorable success stories that you've had thus far. Memorable success stories. Um well, I mean, it's, it's it's subjectively successful, but um, I think being invited to speak as a retail buying expert on MSNBC um, for an actual TV news program was a huge success. I think um, it, it was just a, an acknowledgement, I suppose, of of my of my expertise, and um, it was something really scary for me to do because. You know, live TV interviews is not what I do every day. <laughs> and so I think that was something that was really memorable and really cool. And, um, you know, was it successful? I don't know. But it's something, <laughs> it was something new and different. And I, and I overcame it. So to me, that was successful. <laughs> well, and let me ask this one, too. What is one of the most successful stories that you've had for your clients, for your customers? Wow. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, I mean, I can talk, I can talk about all the different stores in which my, my clients have gotten into, um, you know, Target, Walmart, Bed Bath & Beyond, Nordstrom, um, CVS, Walgreens, the list goes on. Um, but I think the very, the very, the most dearest and special one, I think, is was the one, the success for my very first client. My very, my very first client um, came to me back when she was just starting to sell in, in national retail stores. And, you know, we had began working together then to get her products into Target. And it took three years. And this is typical. Wow. It took three years to finally get that yes from Target. So that was a huge win. You know, I accompanied her to Target to pitch her line. I helped her with the negotiations. It was so hard fought <laughs> that when it came to fruition, it felt so good. My very first client who stuck with me from day one, who never, you know, she believed in me, um, you know, she she kept me on board, um, you know, to be able to, to celebrate in that success with her was truly something special. But as most people know, getting the product into the store is not the hardest part. The hardest part is actually keeping their product there. And so, you know, she's, she's been in there for over a year now and, and things are going really well. Um, but even that was, was you know, even, even that was a bumpy ride and, and you know, it's, it's Every day is a blessing to have her product in there. <laughs> that is so cool. Very cool. All right. Well, I want to go ahead and transition into our favorite five. Are you ready for this? Ready. All right. Okay. Um, first one always is, what is your favorite business book? 
favorite business book. This was my Bible when I launched Byerly. It is The Lean Startup by Eric Reese. Yep. Awesome. And what, what did that, how did that really impact you? Well, it taught me the world of, um, of, of agile development, lean startup. It, ta- it, it taught me concepts that were very useful in helping me launch Byerly faster and better. And I think even if you're not a tech company, if you're a company of any size, you can absolutely adopt these philosophies um, and be more agile. And, you know, it's a very quick, mar- fast marketplace out there to stay competitive. You have to be agile. So this is, this is the tool. Nice. Okay, second question. What is one of your f- favorite products that you've seen? Oh, gosh. This is so hard. Favorite product. Hmm. I'm stumped. Why am I? <laughs> I, see so many pro- I see so many products that it's so hard to pick a favorite. I know that's such a cop-out, isn't it? How many, how many products do you see, like, in a month? Gosh, I probably have at least... 10 to 15 products mailed to me a month to review. And then via email, I probably, I know, I probably have at least, you know, 40 in my inbox each week. Wow. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. So there's a lot that's out there. And it's a, it's, I'm very hard pressed to see something that's truly unique. And I guess as I was saying all this, one, one product did just pop to mind. I actually saw this at the the um, the juvenile kids ex, uh, expo last September, but it's called Easy PZ. So like the letters Easy PZ. Mm-hmm. It is uh, it is a, a basically a food tray slash mat silicone mat that sticks to your table. So that if you have kids that love to throw plates off of tabletops, they can do it with this. And Ooh. I love it not. Be- yeah, I love it not because it really solves an un- unmet need. It really solves a problem. I love it because it was executed so well. It looks so good. It's just high quality and fun looking, and um, it's a great product. And I, they had a Kickstarter campaign that was super successful, and they're going gangbusters now. So, um, yeah, easy peasy. Nice. Awesome. Okay, mm-hmm. um, now I'm going to flip the tables on you. What is one of your favorite things to actually buy? Like if you're outgoing and you're going to go shopping, what, what things do you love to buy? I love buying skincare products. <laughs> I just, I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Any particular line that you love? Um, right now, Mario Badescu, which is a, it's a brand that you see in like Kitson, but it's a New York kind of brand. Um, really basic, boring packaging, but really cool products and formulations. I love that brand right now. Um, but I'm just constantly trolling the skincare and makeup counters of Bloomingdale's just to find, you know, fun new things. (laughs) That's very cool. Okay. Question number four is what is one of your favorite places to eat in LA? Ooh, favorite places to eat. Right now there is this, um, Sushi place called Sugarfish, which um, many people in LA know of, and it's fresh, it's delicious, and you just kind of order a prefix, you know, menu from a menu, and it just all comes. You don't even have to think about it. Just good food just comes. You don't even have to think or work for it. Nice, very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the last question: What is your favorite non-business thing to do? I know you're very passionate and it, you know, business bleeds into everything that you do, but what's one thing that has nothing to do with business. That's one of your favorite things to do. Hmm. Recently it's been cooking and, and this is probably 
this is probably related to the fact that I just got married a few months ago, but I, right now I love cooking and I used to hate cooking. So I like to experiment with, with new, easy, healthy dishes. I, we just bought a sous vide um, cooker, which is amazing. So right now that's my, like, I'm obsessed. Like, I'm on Facebook talking about this sous vide maker all the time. People probably, <laughs> people are probably sick of me or wondering if I get some sort of affiliate kickback for it, and I don't. <laughs> Oh, I love it. That's awesome. Well, thank you for doing the favorite five. Vanessa, I really want to thank you so much. This has been so much fun to have you on the show and to share your experience and to really uh, help us see a little bit more from the buyer's perspective, how we can get our products to those big retailers. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. My pleasure. This was so much fun, Katie. I mean, come on. That chick was amazing, right? I mean, she just totally rocked it. I love, love, loved her. So hope you did too. A couple of really great uh, takeaways that I got from that was when you are in giving your pitch to the retail location, focus on what's in it for them and get down to the business right away. Uh, Don't go through all the fluff of, you know, selling your product. Go go right into the business and showing them how it's actually produced for other locations as well. And ultimately, man, does this girl have passion. Totally love that. I would love to know what really struck you during this conversation. So all you have to do is go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash 145, or you can go to Facebook and just leave comments on either of those platforms. Um, Tag me, Katie Kremitzos, go to bizwomenrock.com. Facebook page, wherever you want to go, just go share with me what this really meant for you today, what you learned, and how you're going to implement it. You know, I always love to hear that. All right, I will see you on the next episode. Have a wonderful day. 